welcome to New School, New You, a podcast dedicated towards exploring what it means to be a transfer student and how to navigate this unique pathway. My name is Hallie. And I'm a junior studying psychology and biology. And my name is Jeremy, and I'm a sophomore majoring in biology and minoring in chemistry. Today, we will be discussing imposter syndrome and how it can affect students of all backgrounds, especially transfer students. Imposter syndrome occurs in people who do not feel they're good enough or deserve their success. Those who suffer from imposter syndrome often don't take credit, even after external confirmation of their hard work. This can lead to feelings of inadequacy and feeling like a fraud, and that they will be found out for being undeserving of the position that they are in. Have you ever felt this way? I definitely have felt this way before, and uh, especially being in the STEM field, the environment's already very competitive, and oftentimes in like the core classes if you're ever like behind on material or you do poorly on a test you can really feel like like out of place and feel like you always have to play catch up to like make sure you stay on track with the other students so these feelings are definitely very very present what about yourself Hallie? Oh, I've also felt that way especially in my, my uh, chemistry courses I always felt like I was behind and that everybody else was doing so much better than me and I shouldn't have been in any of those classes. And it took a lot of self-acceptance to like, know what I was actually doing and why I was there. According to the research done by Dr. Samikatha Malanji and Dr. Reshma Jagsi, this syndrome disproportionately affects women and minority groups who often lack sufficient role models of success. Transfer students are significantly impacted by this phenomenon as well. Today, we are going to speak with some students to get their personal experience with imposter syndrome. So let's welcome our student of the day to maintain the privacy of our interviews. We will be using pseudonyms to identify our student guests. Can you please tell us about yourself and what your transfer was like? So you could talk about your college experience, like where you started and where you ended up, just you can't use any specific school names. Okay. Um, hi, my name is Sam. I am currently a junior. Um, I went to a very small community college that was in a town to a, I guess you could say like a large four-year university. Wait, when did you transfer here? So next semester would be my first year. So it was... Oh, so quite recently. Yeah. So you transferred last year, just fall, right? No, spring. Oh, spring. Oh, you transferred in the spring? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's very recent. Do you think anything has changed over the course of the year? I know because COVID messed up everything, so. Absolutely. I think I have changed with like being in organizations, putting myself out there. I do feel like I am part of the institution now because if I would have never done like all the clubs I'm in now, I would have like, I'm not, I'm never on campus. I'm actually not even allowed on campus. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, But yeah, like, I feel very involved with the school and I do like consider myself like an actual student. Like I feel like, like I've been going there for like three years now. Oh, that's that's good. That's good. Yeah. I, it must've been tough transferring the spring semester. And then immediately, like as soon as we were about to finish, boom, COVID, you can't be here anymore. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that must've sucked. Did you find that your in-person classes were better than online classes? Or at least easier honestly I like hands-on mm-hmm. so it, it was a little harder when it got online I honestly I feel like it is easier because you can go back on your notes and like review your tests because I know a lot of people don't give their tests back mm-hmm. 
but yeah. I do find it a lot easier um like educationally but socially oh. like I wish I had like more people to contact and like to talk to I know that's that's the hardest thing it's like feeling very isolated like I, I'm in my apartment like all day and I never leave. <laughs> so I, yeah, I understand. What's your major? It's biology. Okay. I didn't know that. Ooh, biology. Fun. I'm also a biology major. <laughs> I'm a bio minor, but I love biology. Right. So today we're going to be talking about imposter syndrome. That's our big topic for today, but you can delve into anything else that you feel interested in talking about. Well, I'm going to give you a little like short intro. So uh, many students who struggle with imposter syndrome express having feelings of low self-esteem. They often arrive to university feeling like the underdog who has to work twice as hard to be just as good. Have you ever felt this way, Sam? Yeah, I think a lot of people, including me, have felt this way because when you're grown up, your parents always talk about, you know, you have to do good grades, go to the best school in like either the state or like the whole country. And, you know, people associate low-income people, low-status people as like, they're not going to go anywhere. So you have to aim high. So those who do transfer and come from a community college, they already have a stigma with them that they weren't very smart in school and like they weren't very privileged as those who go to four-year universities. So I do feel like um, I am an underdog and, you know, transferring, I feel like I did not get the same education. It was more because I feel like community college helped me go to my like choice of school rather than four year university helped me think like critically and like how to do this and how to use this in my future career. So do you think it's true that people who are identified as underdogs have to work twice as hard compared to normal students? I do believe that. Um, but at the same time, I don't because like I have friends, you know, who could go straight to a four-year university. You know, they're super smart, super high in their ACT scores, SATs, all that. And, you know, they go to a community college and they kind of like, they kind of don't do as well. And I don't know why, but me, like I was not an A student. I was not a B student. I went to community college. I passed, you know, with a 4.0 and everything. And then I go to a four-year and it is a little harder on me. And I feel like, yes, I am an underdog. Yes, I feel like I have to work twice as hard as everybody else, but it's not so much where I have to step up to the plate. Mm -hmm. Like it's more me proving to myself that I am worth it rather than, you know, like I'm not on their level. Like I don't feel as below as I should or do. Okay. And then uh, based off of what you said, do you think that there are any biases involved, such as gender, sexuality, race, religion, or socioeconomic status that cause this feeling to be intensified in some people? Um, with gender, I know there's a whole like thing with like, you know, males are usually smarter than females. I don't think that is true, but I do think that people do lean more towards guys because they're willing to speak. Um, race and ethnicity, I didn't think that at first, but then I went to a four-year and it, it started to become a thing, you know, like there were some races that were smarter than others. I don't know why, but there were. Um, sexuality, I never really thought about it. I wouldn't think there is, like regardless of what your sex is, you know. 
I don't I don't think there would be like bias, but that's me. Okay. Syndrome often deal with feeling inadequate. For example, making a B rather than A on a hard exam will bring about feelings of self-doubt and inferiority in relation to their classmates. Sam, so have you ever struggled with these feelings of inadequacy or like less than in comparison to your non-transfer peers? Yes, actually. Um, there was one class that I took and I showed up 15 minutes early every day and I tried my hardest, but there were groups of people. It was like a class of like 200 and there were like 15, 20 people that didn't show up. And one day they came and asked me, they're like, hey, did you take notes? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, can I have some? Like, I was like, yeah, sure. Like, I don't care. And turns out she never like showed up for the whole semester. And she ended up passing because it was considered an easy class where I was showing up every day, you know, taking notes, listening. And I ended up having to be in the class. So I think it's crazy how like they would consider an easy class when I actually bombed the first test, had to try real hard to like bring my grade up. Um, well, it's hard, you know, not to think about it. And it's it's hard these days to not compare yourself. But mm-hmm. honestly, that's something you have to not do, like compare yourself to others, like even though you mm-hmm. are the same, like you are you go to the same institution, but you're not in the same boat. We're all trying to go to our different destinations. And like, you have to focus on yourself and how to better yourself rather than focusing on what people say or what they think is an easy class or not. Did those students ever say anything or did your professor ever do anything to make you feel this way or inadequate in any way? Yeah. How were you able to work through these feelings like during the class, like once you realized that these like students were doing this? I've only had one instance where that happened. Um, And it was after I bombed that first test, I came up to see this professor And we had like a little meeting, like why I didn't get the questions I was supposed to get. And I told her, and she knew, I mean, I sat in the front row, like she knew that I was there every day. I was there early. I was taking notes. She pretty much just said like, you're just not understanding it. And I was like, well, I am because this, this, this happened in, you know, this lesson. And like, I was giving her examples, same examples she used and why they were correct. And then, but on paper, I don't know why it was wrong. Um, I feel like it was I didn't answer the question and it was a little harder to understand because you know community college said it what they wanted but universities pretty much like you have to think outside the box Mm -hmm. just kept saying like you just don't understand the material and I was like yeah I do and she's like no you don't I was like okay but everything else you know since COVID happened everything's been online so like the teachers are very willing to help that's good that's good that's so sad that she said like oh you just don't get it that's so mean I know it's (laughs) terrible oh I'm so sorry I've had experiences like that where some teachers are just like you just don't get it and that's okay (laughs) and some some are like since since they've been teaching their subject for so long they like have this mindset that like you should understand it Mm -hmm. because it's easy but like we're the students and like sometimes it just doesn't make sense you have to yeah. explain it for us it's just because it's easy for them doesn't mean it's easy for us exactly all right that was great so many students who struggle with imposter syndrome report having fear of being exposed as a fraud they feel a great deal of pressure to prove to their peers and professors that they belong 
So Sam, based off of this little prompt, do you think you've noticed yourself attempting to prove your place and belonging in the classroom? And if you have, do you believe you were actually trying to prove that you belonged or you were just overcompensating? I did feel like I had to prove myself in the class. And it was actually one, another class actually, and everybody was getting the materials. So I was taking a science course, which, you know, it's one of those like introductory science course and then going to a four year, it was like beyond that. So everybody was like, oh, you shouldn't like learn about like telomeres and chromosomes and stuff like that. And I was like, well, I didn't learn. So I had to like, while taking that class, I had to relearn all of like my first bio, my second bio. So did you feel like you were playing catch up all over again? Yes. And it was like, you know, you had to do it within the semester. So like I had to learn like three times more the material that everybody else did. And then I'm just thinking like, why am I trying to prove myself to my peers? Like the person that's grading my test is the one I should be proving my worth to. And I want her to see that I am capable and I am trying and I am learning and I felt like I should have got like at least half points back on my test because I was trying and I did understand a little and we did talk about it. Um, and I remember talking about like how we're in the same boat, but I feel like, you know, the Titanic when they had those little boats go out and, you know, the, the boat was crashing. <laughs> yeah. so I feel like those little safety boats and I'm just following a big boat mm -hmm. because even though we are in the same situation, I felt like I was more like unexperienced and like uneducated than they did. Do you think that this impacted your mental health at all during your courses? It did, but it also like another thing that influenced it was that I was living by myself. So like I couldn't talk about it and like I, ha I just had like a feeling like, you know, this, this institution was like way too hard for me. Like maybe I didn't pick the right one. Like maybe I should drop out. Maybe it's just not my calling. Um, it honestly drained me mentally and physically to the point. Because, you know, I had like, it was my first semester. And I didn't know like the walking thing. Like I couldn't make friends. And it was just like, it was awful. And then COVID hit. And I was like, I'm so depressed. Yeah. How did you learn to overcome these challenges? So it was pretty much finding people that were in the same situation as you. I didn't know, but there were a lot of transfer students in that same like classroom. And literally I just talked to them like, hey, I'm not getting this. Like, do you understand? And they're like, dude, like, I don't understand either. And it's like, oh, do you want to make like a study group? And that's what happened. Like we ended up making a study group, um, studying like the last few days before COVID. And we all got together and we like hung out and stuff like that. And I think being able to share the same experience that other people had instead of comparing yourself finding people in your same group and learning how to grow from it really helped me overcome those feelings wow that's so great I didn't even think about that how you could yes. make a study group yeah I think yeah that's a great idea because you never you could have never known that those people were in your class unless you reached out mm -hmm. exactly so I'm very glad that you were able to overcome that so overall, do you have any tips for people who feel like they're suffering from imposter syndrome based off of your own experiences? Honestly, reach out to somebody, whether it's a teacher or what, tell them what's going on, like explain yourself, like you are a transfer student, use that to your advantage. 
find friends. I know there's an organization where it's nothing but transfer students. Um, join clubs because transfer students join clubs too and get yourself out there. Like, don't just go to class and go home. Stop by like the cafeteria or like studying the library. Like you're gonna find friends and you're gonna find people in the same boat as you. That was great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sam, for speaking with us today. Appreciate it. Yes, we really appreciate it. So she brought up some really great points. Um, I loved how she talked about the male-female bias and her feelings of having to work twice as hard as the other students because she had transferred. And I also like how she explained that it's important to not compare yourself to others. And the person who matters most is yourself and not the opinions of others. She also recommended joining clubs and study groups. And even when you're feeling drained, it's important to reach out to those around you. Yeah, so I definitely agree with like one of the biggest things that like touched me when she was talk uh talking with us was when she brought up reaching out to others because a lot of times transfer students or like other students who were already in the four-year university, they don't understand the struggles. They don't understand what these transfer students have gone through. They don't ever put themselves in their shoes. So when they're able to reach out and really show and explain um, their own story, that's when people start understanding and they're like, oh, like we shouldn't be treating them this way. Like they're they're the same as us. Like they, they've just gone through a lot more than us. So I think that was really important being able to reach out, share your own side of things so people can understand where you're coming from. Absolutely. And another piece of great advice when you're dealing with imposter syndrome is just accepting yourself. It's not only about believing in yourself, but being honest and transparent. As Dr. Chu says, you will sometimes have gaps in your knowledge but this gap is where you make the biggest strides in your life. Don't feel bad for knowing, for not knowing something. Use it as something to look forward to. There will always be someone who is better than you at something, and this is just something you have to accept. You are your own unique self, and no one can take that away from you. I agree, I agree. People such as Jennifer Duodna, Mae Jamison, Phil Nye, and even Nobel Peace Prize winner Stephen Chu suffer from imposter syndrome. Dr. Chu explains that he suffered from imposter syndrome, but he did not let it dictate his life. He describes the difficulties he had with breaking through the self-doubt. Dr. Chu believed by separating yourself from the self-doubt, you will be able to achieve great things. Next, we will be talking with another student facing imposter syndrome. Hi, um, I'll just do our little briefing just to over everything. So we're trying to not use any institution names or any specific colleges or anything or professor names, things like that. And then we're also gonna use pseudonym for you. So like, what like if we just called you Lisa? And so to begin, can you explain like what your transfer pathway was like, like where you started and where you ended up? Well, my beginning was at a community college in, in the town next to the one that I was living in. And it was relatively well-known and uh, had, a, had a median population as far as like students. The majority of the students there were traditional students, young, probably late teens, early 20s. And I went from 
being at that institution to transferring to a four-year institution, which was in a completely different state. And it was a huge transition for me when I went from a smaller community college to a very large four-year college that was in a state where I had no support system. And um, that was uh, just the first transition that I had to make though, because I graduated with my bachelor's from that institution. And then once again, had to move for grad school. And that was just picking up and moving to an entirely different state. So it's been huge learning curves in trying to adapt to cultural differences and uh, environmental differences, as well as cost of living too. So that was kind of my pathway to where I am at now. Wow, quite the journey you had. So the first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna do like a little kind of introducing our topic, and then we are gonna go in with the questions. Okay. All right, so many students who struggle with imposter syndrome express having feelings of low self-esteem. They often arrive to university feeling like the underdog who has to work twice as hard to be just as good. So based off of this, did you think you've ever had a similar feeling of having to work super hard to kind of be catching up with everyone else around you? I definitely have had that feeling before, yes. And I guess I don't really look at it quite as much as being like the underdog trying to be, um, having to work so hard to be twice as good. I really feel like it's more where you have to work twice as hard to be recognized. Mm -hmm. I never think of an underdog as being someone who's less than, someone who is incompetent or incapable and so really and truthfully, I think that the people, even despite low self-esteem, they are still able to learn well and to integrate the knowledge that they're trying to get and to really do well in the classes, but at the same time to be recognized for those accomplishments can be very difficult. And do you think you yourself have ever experienced imposter syndrome? I, yes, I really think that that has been something that I struggle with. So I have struggled with that on a number of different fronts. First of all, my age, I am a non-traditional student and a single mom. So those were very big obstacles for me to overcome, feeling like I should be at home taking care of my child as opposed to in a classroom. My age has also made it difficult sometimes I feel because as I've gotten older, my learning has changed the way that I can actually like retain knowledge is different than it was when I was younger. And it took me a while to realize that and to adapt. And then in addition to that, I also, um, I have kind of a murky background that has resulted in some brushes with the law too, which also sets me apart from other students because of my criminal record. And so that is another obstacle, I think, that has made me feel like I don't belong in academia. And so you mentioned a couple different factors, but uh, do you think that like maybe gender, sexuality, race, religion, or socioeconomic status can perpetuate this feeling of imposter syndrome? I definitely think that uh, those do. When you look at the sciences, what you see are a lot of white male role models. 
and that's changing slowly but surely. However, it's, it's still the predominant theme that you see. And I think that when you look at anywhere in academia, and that's kind of the cookie cutter picture that you get, it's just uh, normal to compare yourself to that. I have done that on numerous fronts to compare myself to what it is I see as being like the leading model in that area. And I find that I fall short in so many areas. Like I just don't feel like I have the same kind of things that that person has. And so it makes it seem very inaccessible to me. And to find myself in the sciences now and really trying to um, work toward a graduate degree, it makes me feel a very strong sense of like non-belongingness. Like I really do not, I shouldn't be here. People see me and they're gonna find out that I'm here and they're gonna kick me out or, you know, just that it's, it's something that I have to kind of like perpetuate is to keep up like a facade to make people think that, oh, I really do belong. All right, and with that, um, I'm gonna transition into our next section. So many students who struggle with imposter syndrome often deal with feelings of inadequacy. For example, making a B rather than an A on a hard exam brings about feelings of self-doubt and inferiority in relation to their classmates. So uh, Lisa, I know you previously talked about like, I feel like for you, it's maybe not making the B or the A that matters, but it's like in other ways, like being recognized. Have you ever struggled like with these feelings of inadequacy? Not Maybe not in grades, but like other factors compared to your other like non-transfer peers? When transferring to a four-year institution for the first time, it was, I think, kind of hard to break through the wall. You're walking into an area where people kind of enter in as a cohort and they take a lot of classes together when they're at the four-year university. And then they also become familiar with the teachers. And so as a transfer student, when you come into a college and it can be sometimes a little intimidating to mm -hmm. realize that these people have been going through a set, especially when you're in a certain type of track, whether it's like a pre-med track or some type of arts track or like a biology track, something like that. And it, it is kind of difficult, I think, to feel like, um, like you measure up to the standards. And mm -hmm. some of that has to do with this kind of unspoken assumption that community colleges aren't quite as good. So, yes. and they also like the teachers aren't quite up to snuff. Like if they can't cut it at the four-year university, then you find them at the community college, right? And that's just completely false. That's not true by any stretch of the imagination. And so that, that kind of assumption though, it's, it's insinuated and it's, um, implied in a lot of different kind of just casual conversations you might have coming into the four-year university. And it begins to kind of erode like your, your identity and the achievements that you've had at like the previous community college that you were at. And so then it does get to be a little bit more difficult to feel like you belong or um, that 
the the things that you do um, just quite don't measure up to the ones that uh, to similar things that other peers are doing, and so. Mm -hmm it does make you feel less like you want to really tell somebody about these things that you've done. I can remember um, getting awarded like a, a specific type of scholarship that was rather um, prestigious at the time. And I didn't really mention it to anybody. There were a whole bunch of my teachers and professors who had no idea that I had been awarded that. And when they found out, they were like, well, you should be telling people that. And I was just kind of like, oh, well, it didn't really occur to me to try to like boast about it because there were other people who got it too. And I mean, it, it wasn't that big of a deal, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that, yes, it really can, um, it really can be a struggle to kind of recognize your own accomplishments and to do so with humility, but also with a sense of confidence in in the work that you put in to try and, and to get there and realize that that work is the same work that somebody else who is at a four-year college and also makes that same achievement. Like yeah. there is no difference in that. Exactly, there is no difference. How did you go about like working with these feelings if you have, or if you were able to, how did you sort of overcome that feeling or have you, I know you probably haven't fully overcome because it's always like a process, you know, it's always there. It's like so tough, but how have you sort of like coped with these feelings? Have you? Well, I have to tell you that, yes, I am still struggling with that. I think there are a lot of levels to really working with that. The first time anybody ever confronted me about um, really struggling with like imposter syndrome, I was at a conference and I happened to be talking to a professor. And in that conversation, she just made a statement to me. She was like, it really sounds like you're struggling with this. And I really, um, that kind of pulled me up short. I was like, what? I don't have that. I've never even heard of that. And I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm just fine. That was like kind of my first initial reaction. But I have to tell you, after she said that to me, it kind of caught my eye. So I had to look it up and see what it was. And once I became a little bit more familiar with the whole concept of kind of like imposter syndrome, it really was just a slow process of looking at the way that I undermined myself and spending time uh, writing down how I was feeling and really looking at that to see especially how I felt about different things I had achieved and to just go through and really look at the underlying assumptions or the self-talk that I had behind that. Like, oh, I passed this class with a B or with an A, but you know, I went through this while I was going through it and the teacher just felt bad for me. And so they passed me anyway. Um, or, you know, I really could have done better on this instead of acknowledging how hard I may have studied and how much time I put into that or writing that paper. Um, and so it, it really has been a process. And then I find that also, you know, it's, it's really important, I think, to surround yourself with maybe one or two really good people that can speak truth to you, not people who are going to tell you what your 
what you want to hear, but really people who will help to be objective and, and really kind of call you out when you're um, not acknowledging or, you know, basically believing lies about yourself. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we need help with that. Wow, I I really um, I got goosebumps when you said that. I was like, that is very true because sometimes you can't, you don't see like the things you're doing, and you really need like those people to give you like that outside's perspective, and like that will that's like what's going to help you grow. I feel like, especially for me, I've I definitely have friends who have called me out, and it hurts, it sucks, but it's for the better, and I I really do agree with you, definitely. <laughs> um, have your peers um ever i guess said anything peers or professors to like instigate this feeling of inadequacy or has there been any instance where that has happened where you feel like just lesser because well i have to tell you i uh yes i have definitely had instances where people have said things to me that have made me feel less than i um aside from my age and some of the murkier backgrounds of like my youth and my misspent youth. um, I also am a Christian and Mm -hmm. I think that there is a very negative attitude and some of like the older guard in the sciences, especially um, about people who believe in God and then also pursue different types of scientific careers. And I've had colleagues, peers of mine, who have very blatantly, once they find out that I'm a Christian, tell me that they just don't think I should be in the sciences and that they wouldn't trust any kind of like scientific research that I did because obviously I'm just a quack because I believe in something like God. And so that, of course, right there makes you just feel like you completely don't belong. And it's also completely false. Like people who have faith in a God, that doesn't disqualify them from being in the sciences or the arts or in any other type of academic arena that um, is not a disqualifier. And so the, the fact that the peers that happened to say that to me were also at the time friends, that was even more painful. So it, it was something that I really had to, to work through to realize that that's actually not my own baggage, but that's kind of their, this is with Christianity or people in some kind of religion or, you know, something like that. But it, it still seeks, to, it still alienates you. Yeah, definitely. And this is not the, um, I don't think this is the type of stuff you want your friends to say, like this type of stuff is different than <laughs> Just for the audience clarifying the difference. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, no. And oh my goodness. That's such a closed-minded perspective to think exactly. like that one can't has to exist without the other. Yeah. It it really is. And um, you know, if you look throughout the history of the world, almost everyone who has ever pursued any kind of academic pursuit has had some kind of theology whether it's the theology of atheism or the theology of Christianity or Buddhism or, you know, fill in the blank, whatever you choose to. Um, it just seems ridiculous then to, to really point out someone who is a Christian is not believing or not 
you know, belonging in a certain area. That's Thank crazy. you for that. I can't believe someone said that. Yeah, I know. It's this. It's crazy, this world. <laughs> it really is. All righty. So many students who struggle with imposter syndrome report having fear of being exposed as a fraud. They feel a great deal of pressure to prove to their peers and professors that they belong. So have you ever noticed yourself trying to prove your place or belonging in the classroom? Like going out of your way to prove yourself? Yes, I think there have been a number of different classes, especially ones that conflict or have some type of friction with maybe like Christian beliefs. And also where it, yes, it just seems like maybe I have to prove to people that I can be objective and that I can look at things logically or follow like a scientific um, experimental design or trying to do things where because of my age, you know, as, as a single mom, it can be really hard to try and keep up in classes. And so um, you feel like sometimes when you go into a class and the teacher is telling you that this is going to be a lot of work. And if you're not ready to put in the work, like you just really don't need to be there. And so then you know that already you've got to work a job and you've got a child at home. And then you're looking forward to like having this huge amount of work that you're going to have to do. And you really feel like you need to prove to them, like you belong there, like you can handle that. It's not going to be a problem. And you don't want to really show people that how much you're struggling to try and make things work at home and to meet the needs of your child or to try and perform well at work so that they don't, you know, cut your hours back or, you know, and then you still want to try and pass your class. And so there's definitely aspects of that where you're proving to other people that you belong somewhere, but you also want to prove it to yourself. And I think that some of that is tied to, you know, the American societal expectation that worth is equal to productivity. And so the more productive that you can be, right, the greater your worth. And it's also something that's connected with like, well, if you're worth that much, then you also belong there, don't you? Like, that's where you belong. And um, those are completely false, (laughs) you know, your self-worth and your value as a person is inherent and your dignity is inherent and uh, it's not necessarily tied to the output of your hands or what you can visibly or tangibly grasp all the time. And I think that uh, that is one of the things that I've really had to come to the conclusion is that sometimes it's okay to take the B and, and spend a little bit more time with your kid or to spend a little bit more time with yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is that this sounds like so such a stressful feeling just to feel like you have to prove yourself. And then on top of everything else you have going on, do you feel like any of the feelings associated with your imposter syndrome has impacted aspects of your mental health? I definitely think that it has impacted my mental health, but that's been, I think, more insidious uh, because of the fact that there's such a stigma against 
um, mental health issues that I even now really struggle with trying to, to make the connections between the, the alienation that I experience in my field with the stress and anxiety that I have about my performance in those same areas. And so it um, also has been where, because I don't feel like I belong, I just think that there is all this stuff I have to achieve, like all these mile markers I have to make. And there's just a certain time frame that I have to meet them in. And if I don't meet them, then obviously I'm not good enough and I don't belong there. And so there's this constant feeling of like always being behind. And so when I do get to a mile marker and I achieve one of the goals that I set out, I don't spend a lot of time looking around and acknowledging like the work that I've done to get there. It's really like I get there and I'm just looking ahead to the next one. And what I have found is that that really has set up in my mind this very vicious cycle of like perpetual motion where I don't have any kind of mental rest or relaxation. And it's just quite honestly exhausting. And I think that it has led to me feeling very burnt out at times when I otherwise might have been like, I, I don't necessarily understand why I feel so burnt out. And so, um, I think that that definitely has been a connection and I've had to really sit down and talk with people from like my church or with friends to make sure that I am um, taking time to myself and spending time with other people. And then also just trying to acknowledge what it is I've done while remaining humble and still um, realizing that there's no that it's not necessarily an indication of inadequacy or incompetency when you realize one, how much you don't know yet, and two, how much work you still have to do. Like those two things don't necessarily mean or cancel out all the work you've put in to get to the point that you're at. So one of the other things that I think has been very helpful has been to actually draw out a timeline for myself so that I have what is called a kind of like a, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the term an Ebenezer, like everybody knows Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Mm -hmm. And especially at this time when it's like the Christmas time and we have all like the Christmas stories. Yeah. <laughs> Ebenezer is actually, um, it's a term, it's an ancient term used for like something to that is, is meant to remind people of a certain instance or something that happened. And so uh, I kind of, I have this timeline to serve as an Ebenezer of all the different things that I have achieved so far to get where I'm going. Even though the timeline may still be really long on the other end, <laughs> I still have a lot of steps that I've taken to get to where I'm at. I like that. That sounds like a great tip for people who just wanna like look back and see how much they've achieved while also looking towards the future. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. So uh, last thing here, just to kind of wrap everything up, do you have any 
final tips for anyone who's suffering from imposter syndrome or in a similar situation as you are feeling like having to prove themselves? I think one of the most important tips I could give to someone who really who really suffers with this is to surround yourself with people who can speak truth into your life. And if you don't have people like that, then most universities do have counseling services available. And I would encourage you to reach out to someone, not necessarily, uh, well, yes, to reach out to someone, just to have an objective viewpoint. Because we, when we look at ourselves, even though we would like to think we're objective, we're, we're really not. And it's very hard to um, see ourselves. And I think one of the most beautiful things that we can really see um, or really get a glimpse of is how other people see us. And when we hear other people describe us, it is when it, there's such a difference between what they say and what you think that really helps you to start to examine the way that you see yourself. In addition to that, I would encourage people to, to write things down. If you're a verbal processor, like talk to someone. If you're not and you're more visual, to write something down and really spend time thinking about it and to really examine why it is you think that which may or may not be true. And then I think also one of the other tips I would give is when you suffer with imposter syndrome, any kind of failure can be really devastating and it, you blow it up in your mind. And that failure may be not even really a failure, something that is more like getting the B instead of the A and having a drop in your grade point average. Um, however, I really, who are doing what it is you want to do, like there are so many stories out there, so many blogs, so much available online where people talk about their struggles and there are people who are sitting in positions that you want to be in yourself. And you'll find that almost that there really aren't any of them that have ever gotten there uh, without some kind of, of failure along the way. And that those failures really help us to learn. And so when I fail at something now, I'm really good at pointing out what it is I learned from that failure and how that's going to help me in the future. And I think that that really helps too. That was great. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. That was so insightful. She was really good. That was, that was really, really good. Like, well, you were so she was so well spoken. I'm I was so impressed. You know, she talked about her like past and stuff. Like she's mentally she uh, briefly mentioned it, but like I could tell that was something hard like to do. And like man, that is yeah. I'm very I'm glad she was able to open up and sort of share that. Yeah, it can take a lot to open up. But she did really she provided. I love that like Ebenezer like Ebenezer or whatever. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I I had no idea what that was, but. Yeah, that's such that a was, cool idea. Yeah, I'm, that's, I've never done I that. I think do that's that. really, yes, yeah, I'm not going to lie. But yeah. Dr. Mae Jemison, the first woman of color to go into space, urges others who suffer from imposter syndrome that you should be there. 
she expressed how helpful her family and fellow female scientists were in encouraging her. She recommends that scientists support each other in life and in the STEM field. Thank you for listening to our episode about imposter syndrome and how it impacts all kinds of people, including transfer students. Tune in next week where we will explore what it is like selecting a major and then switching your major or program when you move schools. Thank you. Thank you.